right, James 2, 14 through 26. Let's read the whole passage. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, everybody, dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder, shudder in fear, that is. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Literally, the word there is empty or vain. It's translated foolish. And I think there's a play on words there. He's, he's been talking to them about an empty faith or an empty profession. And now he's calling the person who would believe that uh, empty. But it's translated foolish. But literally, the word there is uh, empty or vain. You foolish person, middle of verse 10, do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed or faith was fulfilled by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, here's another example. And it's giving examples from the Bible, which is always a really good way to prove your point unless you're you know, twisting things and using examples from the Bible in an unbiblical way, which is sort of common. But he's arguing from the Bible. He gives another example, verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And there, we talked about 2.26 almost every week. That's been uh, our overview verse for this entire course. As the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I want to introduce to you another spin on the interpretation of that verse tonight. Uh, I've, we've been talking about the Spirit as the invisible part of us, the soul, right? And so as the body without that spirit is dead, right? When that spirit leaves the body, the body is dead. But the word that's translated spirit is also translated breath. And so there's another interpretation out there that he's just talking about the breath. And in that culture, well, in any culture, when the body stops breathing, you know the body is dead. But this is the illustration 
for faith apart from works. As the body apart from the spirit, or as the body that has no breath in it is dead, so also faith that has no works is dead. One verse I want to highlight first is something he says in verse 20. And I want to relate it to the illustration that he gave in verse 15. Remember the illustration, you can glance at it in verse 15. A poor person comes in, clearly they're in need. And what we do is, the person in the illustration, what the person in the illustration is, is pronounce a blessing over them. They say a compassionate word. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, clearly in need, right? One of you says to them, so these are words, go in peace, be warmed and filled. So you speak a blessing. But what does the person not do in the illustration? He speaks a blessing, but he doesn't what? He doesn't help. He doesn't give the help that's necessary. So the word of blessing is useless to that person. The person needs clothing. The person needs food. The person needs help. God's put you in a position to do it. Don't Speak a blessing, but rather be a blessing. And also speak an encouragement. Speak a blessing. Now look at verse 21. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Useless. So working from that illustration of speaking a kind word to the person in need, but not doing anything about it. And then you transfer that to what he's saying in the big picture about saying you have faith, but not obeying. It's dead. Faith without works is dead. Every week we've been on this. Now that is the first major section of the outline. Faith without works is dead. I, it looks like I'm putting this from verses 14 through 17. So let's work through this. Of course, stop me at any point if you have uh, any question about something that I'm saying. Let's work through verses 14 through 17. Faith without works is dead. Now, faith with works is alive. Praise the Lord for that. The very first thing he does in verse 14 is ask a question. This is the question posed. Look at verse 14. What good is it? Isn't that a provocative way to start a question? You know something big is coming after that. Let me ask you something. What good is it if... What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, you can circle the word says, this is a verbal profession of faith. What good, if it, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? Is that a saving faith? What good is it if my child says they're going to clean their room, but don't clean their room? What good is that? It's not good at all. It's useless. The room doesn't get cleaned. So the profession that you're going to clean the room doesn't actually accomplish the cleaning of the room. You've got to go down and you've got to clean your room. Clean your room. Stop saying you're going to do it and go do it. I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. This illustration is completely (laughs) in my imagination. But you can think about, honestly, friends, you can think about this in any relationship. What good is it? If a husband says to his wife, I love you, but doesn't follow up on that in the way he treats her, the way he speaks to her, the way he speaks about her, 
the way he prioritizes his time, the things he does. Love is not just a word spoken. It's a way that you live. Faith without works is dead. If you say you have faith, but you don't have obedience that's supposed to grow out of faith, that's not a saving faith, and you should have no assurance of salvation. So that's the very first thing he does. Is he poses a question, and you can memorize this. He poses a question, and here's the thing to memorize. This is the question, what good is it? What good is it if you say you believe, but your life isn't changed? Now, secondly, he goes immediately to that practical example. He goes immediately to a practical example. If a bro- Verse 15 and 16, a brother or sister... So this is not referring to a person in general, although you could come up with all kinds of examples, but this is referring to a brother or sister in Christ. This is talking about people in the church. And if you remember the last study we had, there was favoritism. If you want to glance up and just skim the first half of chapter 2, there was favoritism in the church toward rich people, and poor people in the church were being overlooked. No, I have to correct that. I have to fine-tune what I just said there. There's favoritism being shown to rich people who weren't a part of the church. They were not a part of the church. In fact, they were persecuting the church. But because they're rich, they were being shown special favor over against the poor people who did belong in the church. Elitism is a wicked, wicked sin. Probably they were afraid of being persecuted by those elites and the rich who were in you know, in places of authority. So poor people were being overlooked in this context. The rich were being shown favoritism. And it's not right. So that's why he gives this illustration. It would have been real to them. There were poor people being overlooked in the church. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Church is so much bigger than the Sunday morning worship and the Sunday ministries and the Wednesday ministries. Those are um, core ministries, the ministries of God's word that transforms us, that brings us together. We have unity in the word. This is God's word to us. What does that mean for the way we treat each other? What does that mean for the way we care for each other in practical ways and speak well of each other, love each other? Church is about relationships. It's about serving and caring for one another in the Lord. That's what this example is getting at. Don't say you have faith, but not care for these people who need help. Great practical example words without action is meaningless you know it is funny when you think about some of these principles all of us knew that before we came in here words without action is meaningless don't just say you're going to do something but do it be faithful to your word be a man of your word be a woman of your word the question posed what good is it if you say you have faith but don't have works the practical example Actually, it gives away the answer. It's useless. Finally, verse 17, he 
summarizes the answer. He gives the answer. Such a short verse, verse 17. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't give this answer in any more of a clear and concise way. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right. James 2.17. Faith by itself does not have works is dead. Uh, the fruit, there's no fruit on this diagram, all right? But feel free to draw some on this tree. I just did a search under images for tree with roots. This was the first one that came up as an image that I could use for this, so I just used it and I didn't look for one with any fruit on it. But you see, the root of faith, biblically speaking, biblically speaking, no matter what I've seen in my experience or you've seen in your experience, or no matter what is common or popular in religion in the United States, biblically speaking, the root of faith always grows up and produces the fruit of works. Always. Biblically speaking. And actually, I got the whiteboard out before I did my handouts. I wanted to draw this tree on the whiteboard. Then I got back to my desk and thought, you know, just make a handout. That's what, but in your mind's eye, you can get the drawing on the whiteboard. I may, I may put it up there at the end of the class because Jesus has a teaching on this very thing that's clear as day and is pointed right to our hearts, right to my hearts, that the root of faith in Jesus, the root of faith in God, always grows up and bears the fruit of works. In other words, it changes how we live. It changes how we talk. Not 100% overnight. And in this life, we'll never be perfected. But I'll tell you what, we can be moving in the right direction. And we can be encouraging each other to move in the right direction because the world is full of distractions. Not only the world out there full of distractions, but our minds are full of distractions and full of idols. And our hearts are full of distractions. And chase after things and prioritize other things than our faith in God. But we can be humbly striving to move in the right direction, encouraging each other along the way, knowing that the root of faith always grows up to produce the fruit of works. Faith without works is dead. And then he also says in here, useless. That's just 14 through 17. End of the first section. Before we go to section number two, any questions or pushback on that? I mean, I'm not inviting pushback, but if you have it, you know, feel free. I don't think... Can you do a quick round? I think there's some in the back who don't have these handouts. We have more handouts coming. We have four handouts tonight, so you guys are going to want them. You want to want to get your eyes on them. Now the next section is the one that is commonly called, you know, extremely difficult 
once we get into these uh, 20 verses 21 and 24 specifically. But we're not going to just skip over verses 18 and 20. So the second point is that true faith is shown or proven by works. Now, it's so important that we remember that faith and works are different things. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by faith plus our works. Faith and works are two different things, but they are inseparable. They're inseparable. Just like the roots of a tree and the fruit of a tree are different things, but in the, in the end, they're inseparable. All right, everyone has them? Good. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. So true faith is shown or proven by works. Or you, you know what you could also put demonstrated? That's a common way this is said to. They're just put on display. They're demonstrated. This is verses 18 through 20. Now, you're going to have to turn your thinking cap up a little bit. Don't turn it to 10 yet. Turn it to 7.3. Okay? Just because verse 18 and 19... The wording can be difficult, but I, th- I think there's an easy way to understand even verses 18 and 19. What he's doing in verses 18 and 19 is he's addressing some common misunderstandings. He's addressing common misunderstandings. The first misunderstanding comes in verse 18. He quotes somebody, and this person that he quotes apparently thinks that you can have either faith or works, but you do not need to have both. Verse 18, but someone will say, in other words, someone will say in response to what he's teaching, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. What's the big deal? Faith is good. Works are good. You have faith. He has faith. She has works. I have works. What's the big deal? You have faith and I have works. The misunderstanding is that you can have either faith or works one or the other alone but you don't need to have both that's a misunderstanding he says show me your faith apart from your works but i'll show you my faith by my works that's his point works put on public display the faith that we have in christ when when you when you forgive somebody they experience that forgiveness that's your faith put on display that's just one example show me your faith apart from works you cannot do it you can't show faith apart from works faith again is invisible it's a heart reality that's why he started this whole section with you can say you have faith but even just you saying that you have faith doesn't put your faith on display walk it out show it So this is the first misunderstanding, that you can have either faith or works, but not both. The second misunderstanding, and this is is such a common one. I was going to say such a common one today in our culture, but it's a common one all the time in any culture, uh, that faith is merely intellectual. This is wrong. This is a misunderstanding. That faith is merely intellectual. That faith is me agreeing with truth that's wrong that's not what faith is that's 
You can have faith that God exists. That's not faith in God. Here's what he says in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. And you should hint some sarcasm in that because of what he says next. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe the fact that God exists. Demons believe the fact that God is one. So when you see, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well, you can kind of envision him going like this. Good, slow clap, slow clap. good for you. Even demons have that kind of faith. And of course, we know demons do not have a saving faith. Demons hate all that is good. Demons hate God and all that he's about, all that he wants to accomplish. Everything good that God wants to give you, demons are working against that. Everything good that God wants for you, demons are working against that. But they believe that God exists. Believing that something is true, believing that God exists, is not true faith in God. With a heart is trusting in him as my maker and as my redeemer and as my father and as my shepherd. Believing in God, believing in Jesus. Not just checking boxes that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus died on the cross. It's, faith is not merely intellectual. Faith, of course, includes an intellectual component of knowledge. We have to learn about God. We have to learn about Jesus. We have to learn about forgiveness. And it's through that learning that our hearts are changed, but it's in the heart that we have faith and trust in God. Two misunderstandings. One is you can have either faith or works, but you don't need to have both. Wrong. The other misunderstanding is that faith is merely intellectual, and that is wrong. Common, common misunderstandings. Now, verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person or you you vain person, that faith apart from works is useless? He's setting us up for his argument. I guess he wants us to answer that question, how? What does he want us to say? Yes, we want to be shown that. We want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless. We need to be convinced of that. Don't take my word for it. Convince us. Do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? And now we're into what I've just called in my outline, biblical proof. James is going to offer us two examples from the Bible that prove and show that faith apart from works is useless. And you can scan over this paragraph. Who are those two examples? What's the first one? Abraham, and what's the second one? Rahab, interesting choice. Interesting choice. Abraham is the father of the faithful. He is the paradigm for saving faith. In Scripture, he is the example of faith. The father of not only the Jewish nation and believers within the Jewish nation, but of all true believers, even in the church age, Abraham is the model. Paul argues that in Romans chapter 3 into chapter 4. 
So that's one example, but the other example is a prostitute who lived not, she was not an Israelite. She was in the land that Israel was commanded to go into and take over, but she, by faith, gave aid to Israel's spies, spied out the land. She protected them, she helped them. It was an act of faith in God. Hebrews 11.31 says that. So two examples, vastly different examples, vastly different. You could not find, well, I guess you could if you looked hard enough, but just the difference of these examples. I think he's trying to show by this that this is across the board true, that faith leads to works, faith leads to obedience. Abraham and Rahab. First, let's look at Abraham, and this is where the controversy occurs Abraham, verses 21 through 24. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? You can circle that phrase, justified by works. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Also remember that he's using a specific example of something that Abraham did. It's not Abraham in general, but this is the climactic, ultimate act of obedience in Abraham's life. He, God took him through years of testing, and this is the final test, the biggest test, the hardest test, the test of faith. He offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Now, if you had this, uh, this booklet or the handout from the, cha- the chapter for tonight, what's the title? The Relation of Faith to Works or Faith and Works? Now, this is really a good verse for that because you see two aspects of the relation between faith and works. One, faith is active along with works. You see this picture, this dynamic picture of faith working. Faith is being active along with works. That's one aspect of the relationship. And then right after that, he says, faith is completed by works. Faith is completed by works. Faith is not an end in itself. Faith is a means to an end. First and foremost, our faith brings us into a relationship with Jesus. The faith is not the goal. The faith is the means to a goal. We trust in Jesus, in his forgiveness, in his sacrifice, Faith in Him brings us into a relationship with Him. And then our faith in Him, as we are now in a relationship with Him, is meant to manifest and be completed by works. Because it's not really good enough just to say faith without works is dead. That doesn't tell us in a constructive, positive way what is the relationship between these two things. That just tells us that there, has, there is some relationship You can't have one without the other. But faith is active. Faith is not static. Faith is not boring. Faith is not asleep within us. It's awake. It's alive. It's dynamic. It's growing. It's active. And how is it completed? How does it come to fruition in your life? Works. That's the relation between faith and works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him 
as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now, we'll, hopefully we'll get to this later, but that scripture that he's quoting here, Genesis 15, 6, is earlier than Abraham offering Isaac. That's Genesis 22. So in chapter 15 of Genesis, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he believed, and he was saved. He had faith in God's promise, and he was counted righteous in God's eyes. That's how we're saved today. We have faith in God through his promise of forgiveness, forgiveness in Christ, and by that faith we're counted righteous in his eyes. That's chapter 15 of Genesis. And then, seven chapters later, in chapter 22 of Genesis, he offers Isaac in obedience, and when he offers Isaac in obedience, this is one biblical example of what James says in 22, that that was the works completing his faith. His faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and he was counted as righteousness. I know I'm coming at you like a fire hydrant, but we will slow down and field questions if we need to. Anyway, he gives his first example of Abraham, and then he says in verse 24, you see, it's almost like, isn't it obvious? You see, the person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's the controversy, just in case you didn't know. So now we're going to look at this sheet, justified by works, question mark. And I have two sets of passages on here that give you the background for, you know, what is a difficult discussion unless you, if you get your terms right, it's easy. But if you get your terms and definitions wrong, it is difficult. Justified by works. James 2.21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So if I say, was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, what would you say, yes or no? Hopefully you say yes. That's the whole point of James's passage here. James 2.24, he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's not a question. That's a statement. You see, this is his conclusion to that paragraph. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, what about Paul's teaching? If you know anything about this topic, you know that there's some things Paul says that on the surface appear to be 100% opposed to what James is teaching. And even if you've never heard about this before, it'll become clear to you once we read these. Uh, and by the way, when I'm picking these out of Romans 3 and 4, um, that whole section of Romans is about this. R- Romans 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You're justified, not by works. You actually are justified by faith separate from works, apart from works. Put the works over there. You're not justified by works. 100% you're justified by faith. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work. This person hasn't even worked. There's no works. The person does not work. The one who does not work but believes, which is just he has faith, he believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith 
is counted as righteousness. Not his works. His faith is counted as righteousness. So how do we make sense of what James is teaching and what Paul is teaching? Flip it over. It is so very easy. Okay, I'm telling you, this is easy. You can know this. You can teach this to a seven-year-old. It's easy. The word justified is used in different ways. It's not surprising to any of us that words can be used in different ways. Justified is used in different ways. It can mean to declare one righteous. It could also mean to show one as righteous. Do different meanings, two different ways that this word is used. It can mean to declare righteous. This is the way that Paul is talking about it. We are sinners. We are guilty before God. How can we be declared righteous before him? By faith, not by works. Works are no part of that equation. It is by our trusting in Jesus, trusting in his forgiveness. We are declared righteous by God. It's a legal declaration, if you're taking notes. It's a spiritual, legal declaration that can never be reversed by any authority in the universe. If God declares you righteous and forgiven by faith in Christ, you're justified. You're justified. Justified can be used to mean declared righteous. Specifically in scriptures, God declares us righteous. And that happens exclusively by faith. By faith. It is not faith plus works. It is by faith. This is what Paul is teaching. And he teaches it in Romans and in other places in unmistakable fashion. And it is such a core component to our teaching and to our message in the community, in Jarrettsville, in the surrounding community and counties, that God freely forgives sinners who believe in Christ. You come to faith in Christ and you are justified by that faith and you're declared righteous in God's eyes and that will never change. It's a legal declaration. Justified can also be used to show that something is righteous. Paul and James are discussing different things. They're concerned with different things. Paul, I'll just read through these two very short paragraphs. Paul is talking about how a lost person is saved. James is talking about how a saved person lives. Different things. Completely different topics. Related topics, but different topics. Paul is talking about how a lost person can be saved can come into a relationship with God. And it is not by works. It is by faith alone. James is talking about how a saved person lives. And a saved person lives with faith that's manifest in works. Both of those things. Paul is talking, second paragraph, Paul is talking about how a sinner can be declared righteous in God's eyes. James is talking about how works show or give outward proof that a sinner has been declared righteous righteous. This is the way James is talking about Abraham's obedience. It shows that he had been made righteous in God's eyes. That's the point of verse 23. The scriptures fulfilled. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's chapter 15 where Abraham is saved by faith, not by works. But now what happens? How does he live as a saved person now? He lives by faith 
manifest in works. The works prove that he came to faith. So they're talking about two different things. The word is used in two different ways. And if we can just remember that one simple point, we'll see that this is not a confusing or difficult doctrine. You're justified by faith in terms of God declaring us righteous, justified, shown, demonstrated. That faith is shown and demonstrated and proven by works. That's Christian living. That's not being born again. That's Christian living. And now, before I stop... Let's look at this other justify as showing or demonstrating righteousness. That might be a new way of thinking about that word. Maybe you've never heard that the word justify is used in different ways. It actually is in the Bible used in different ways. So I just want to give you a few of those so you don't think I'm making this up. All right, is that fair? I don't want you to think that I'm making this up. Justify as showing or demonstrating righteousness. Jeremiah 3.11 And the Lord said to me, Faithless... Israel has shown herself more righteous. If you have some kind of writing utensil, underline or circle that whole phrase, shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Shown righteous, shown herself more righteous, there's one verb in there. It's the, word, it's the verb for justify in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's the same exact word that in the New Testament is justify. It means to show as righteous. And that's what he's saying. As the Lord, the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself righteous, had justified herself more than treacherous Judah. That's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom. There was a split in the nation of Israel. Northern kingdom, Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man, which refers to Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you guys remember that Jesus took harsh criticism for the people he hung around with, the people he reached out to, the people he ministered to? They, they said, man, if he was really holy, he wouldn't be with that group. What are you doing with that group? We thought you were a man of God. Because he loves them and he wants them to find forgiveness. He wants them to find freedom from sin. He's compassionate. He's not a a self-righteous legalist. No, Jesus' opponents were self-righteous legalists. Jesus was truly righteous, which meant he had compassion on people. There's a difference between being righteous and being self-righteous. When you're righteous, you care about people. I really chased that rabbit, didn't I? It's very important. Uh, uh, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. By the way, they're saying that not in a positive way, like, oh, look at him, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. No, they're saying that as a slander and a criticism. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is proven by her deeds. True wisdom will be manifest, true wisdom will be displayed by actions, by deeds. Justified. Justified is used to show something is righteous. Romans 3, 3 and 4. Even Paul understands this. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness 
nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Yeah, of course not. The picture is God made promises. So what if the people are unfaithful? Is God going to go back on his promises? No, of course not. Because God's faithful. No matter what I do, God remains faithful. No matter what you do, God remains faithful. He's not going to retract his promises. Verse 4, by no means, of course not, let God be true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words. That's you're talking to God. He's talking about God. God, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Though his words, his judgments will make manifest his righteousness. They will prove and show that he is righteous and he is wise. In other words, justified. God will be justified through his words. Does God need to be declared righteous by faith? No, of course not. But it's through his words, his revelation, his actions, his judgments that he's justified. That his righteousness is made manifest for people. This is one way the word justified is used. It just means showing. Showing what's righteous. 1 Timothy 3, 16a. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And I'm only giving you the first two lines of this. It's a short, um, it looks like a poem in Scripture. Many think that this was one of the early hymns in the ancient church. So forgive me for cutting it off in the middle and giving you the first two lines of it. Uh, He was manifested, this is talking about Jesus, he was manifested in the flesh. That's talking about what? Jesus' earthly ministry. He was manifested in the flesh. People saw him. People talked to him. Vindicated by the Spirit. Now, you can look down at the hash mark if you want to, but just any guesses on what the word that's translated vindicated means. Justified. Justified. Like if you were in an argument with someone, they're accusing you of something, and you're like, I didn't didn't do that. What are you talking about? So the evidence is gathered, and you are vindicated before that person. You're shown that you were not lying. You're shown that you were telling the truth. You're justified. You're shown that you were righteous in that situation. Vindicated. Shown or proven to be righteous. Vindicated, justified, demonstrating righteousness. So if you... So now there's another layer to it. Where's that other hand out? Oh, the answer is easy. Just remember that justified is used in two different ways. It can be used to declare righteous, or it can be used to show what's righteous. Two different ways. Secondly, remember that James and Paul are talking about two different things. Paul's talking about how lost people get saved. James is talking about how saved people live. And then the other layer would be just just to say that the Bible supports that. That's not made up. That is an actual way that the word justify is used and was used. In fact, we still use today, we just use the word vindicate more than justified. All right, before we go to Rahab, which will have to be quick, any questions so far? Ah, Blair, you got me excited. He went like this, then he just scratched his cheek. Usually I say if you go over the shoulder, you're on the hook for saying something, but that's a joke. So what does God want from us? Does he want faith or works? Yes. Amen. 
Amen. Oh, it's, you know, it's everyday stuff, really. It's rich and it's deep and when you get into the scripture and all of it. But it's what we want from our kids, right? We want them to love us and trust us, and we want them to obey us, not just give us lip service. Same thing for a coach. He wants his players not just to give lip service, but to obey and be good players. It's the same thing for a teacher in a classroom, right? Doesn't want you just to act like a teacher's pet and always, you know, say what you think the teacher wants to hear, but be a good student, you know. It's every sphere of life, every aspect of society. We don't want just lip service. Live it out. Again, as I said earlier, be a man of your word, a woman of your word, a child of your word. Don't just say it, but live it out. Faith and works. Rahab, verse 25 and 26. Oh, uh, oh, we don't have time for it, but this last handout. Faith comes to fruition through works. James 2, 21 through 23. Um, yeah, get that handout before you. I'll see if I can take three minutes to go through this, just so you have an idea of why I made it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So that's the historic event that he's working from. Abraham offering up his son Isaac on the altar. And from other scriptures, we learn that Abraham had the faith that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead. He had the resurrection faith. You see that faith was active along with his works. Faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. I did talk about this earlier, but here I'm just trying to get it on a page and with a little diagram for that main part, just so you can have a visual. If you look at letter A, he says Abraham's faith was completed by his works, and that's something that's in Genesis 22. And then he immediately says the scripture was fulfilled. So when letter A happened, the scripture was fulfilled. So the first question we would have is what scripture was fulfilled? The scripture that was fulfilled was Genesis 15:6. Faith was counted as righteousness. And the work that came in chapter 22 was the faith of chapter 15 coming to fruition. Faith is completed by works. That's what he's arguing. Faith is completed by works. Faith leads to works. Faith is the root works are the fruit and then he says abraham is called a friend of god that's not in genesis passages but that's how abraham became known he became known as a friend of god second chronicles 27 and isaiah 41 8 in the tradition of israel who was abraham he was a friend of god specifically in that he had faith that was completed by works that's god's friends those who have faith by his grace and that faith is manifest in work. So he became known as a friend of God. He was the, again, he was the paradigm. He was the model of faith. Faith that leads to works. Now Rahab. Rahab. Uh, verse 25, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers' 
and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab, too, was converted. She was saved by God's grace, and that was then manifest in works. And we don't have time to go into the story, but she helped God's people. She helped God's people. It was a work of obedience. It was a work of faith. She was saved the same way Abraham was saved. Just because she was a prostitute and Abraham was not, she did not have to do more works to earn God's forgiveness because God's forgiveness is never earned. It's not partly a gift and partly earned. God's forgiveness is 100% free gift. This is the message that we herald. This is the message that we sing about. This is the message that fills us with joy and gratitude that we don't have to work for forgiveness. God freely forgives anyone, anyone who comes to him in faith. For those who come to him in faith, that faith is then manifest in glad works of obedience. For Abraham, for Rahab, for Matt, for you, for anyone, if we're going to be brought into a relationship with God, it will be through faith in Jesus Christ by virtue of his sacrifice. And then once we're brought to faith in God and have a relationship with God through faith, it's then a life of faith's manifest in works. True faith shows itself in works. All right. I wanted to leave eight minutes for this, but I've only, I only have four. But I know you guys don't check the time, so that's only me and my insecurities looking at that clock back there. Turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. And I told you earlier about that tree diagram that Jesus teaches about this in a powerful way, a vivid way. Matthew 7, 15. Probably the... Did I say 7, 15, right? Not the only, but one of the main practical applications for what we've been talking about is our assurance before God. The assurance we have that we are children of God. We must look to Christ in faith for that assurance. We never look to our works for that assurance because our works are imperfect. Our works are incomplete. They literally are not the ground. They're not the foundation of our salvation. If we're looking to our works for our assurance, we'll always be lacking in assurance. Or we'll be self-righteous Pharisees who think that our works are complete and think that our works are perfect and think that our works can be a ground of salvation. But that's not salvation. We look to Christ. We look to the cross and his free gift of forgiveness. That is our assurance. Look to him. Look to him. Okay, verse... 15 in Matthew 7 beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing right that's a metaphor which means they don't come and announce themselves as agents of darkness and false prophets but they they put themselves forth as God's true messengers as those who want to help you so they come in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves just want to exploit you. Your false prophets are some of the richest people in the world, if you didn't know that. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? That's a good question. What do you think? 
No, of course not. Are figs gathered from thistles? No, of course not. So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Two kinds of trees, two kinds of fruit. This tree bears this fruit, this tree bears that fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit because even the work so that's a metaphor for the works of a true believer but it's not bad fruit because they're works of faith they're not self-righteous works they're works of faith and they're cleansed and accepted by Christ a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus you will recognize them by their fruits you will recognize them by their fruits and for false prophets and false teachers it will be their false teachings and immorality immorality and false doctrine always go together a lot of times it's hidden and you don't see it but the tree the tree is a great illustration for understanding if the root is bad the fruit will be bad if there's a true root of salvation by grace through faith there will be the fruit of good works faith works root fruit it sounded kind of cheesy as I said that root fruit. Faith works. All right, the root is being justified by faith, and then that faith made manifest in works. It's 8 o'clock. Any questions? This is your last shot. Let me see some of you got the wheels, wheels turning up there. Well, if you do have any questions or any concerns about any of this, because I understand this is a difficult topic, come see me afterwards. But hopefully we're clear that if, if we're... You know, the one thing I want to make sure we're certainly clear on is that if anyone, anyone's going to be right in God's eyes, it will not be on the basis of anything that they can do, any work that I can do. God doesn't love me more because I do good things, and he didn't love me in the first place because I did good things. Salvation is a gift of grace. It is received by faith, by trusting in Christ, not by works, not by works.